Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 11. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Our topic for this episode of the Engaging Leader Podcast is how to develop executive presence. And I'm excited to have Tom Henschel join me on today's show. Tom is the president of Essential Communications, which is an executive development firm. He has been an executive coach for 20 years and serves clients all across the country. Now, I know Tom best as the host of the popular podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership. Over the past six months, this has become one of the podcasts that I listen to most regularly because Tom's experience is so solid and the tips he provides are so actionable. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. When we say that someone has executive presence, what does that mean? You've shared with me a three-part model. Could you give us an overview of your model for executive presence? Sure. People, when, when people call me and they ask for executive presence, I never know what they're really looking for. And so as you and I were talking, I thought, well, you know, how, do, how does it kind of fall out? The three big buckets that I thought of are self-management, altitude, and savvy. And within each of those, there's lots of little parts But that's the three-part model that I came up with, self-management, altitude, and savvy. And you, so to kind of take those one at a time, when when you describe self-management, you're including ideas like um, being present as opposed to being distractible, uh, having, uh, controlling your impulses, understanding your impact on others, and having self-knowledge of your own strengths in development areas. Can you give me an example of uh, this point about being present or not highly distractible? What, what do you mean by that? I find that when people are genuinely present, connections are fairly easy. I happen to know many people who either met or worked with Bill Clinton. And one of the things that everybody says about Bill Clinton is when he's with you, it's as if no one else is in the room. He's so able to focus on you and get present. There's no five minutes ago and there's no five minutes from now. He's with you. My experience with many executives these days, way more than when I started, my experience with many executives is they are overwhelmed. They have 350 emails sitting in their inbox. A lot of the people that I work with lead international teams. So they're sleep deprived or they're off their cycles because they just got off a plane or and and it's hard for them to get their work done so while they're with me they're still carrying with them the meeting that they just came from and in their periphery is the meeting they're going to and it's hard for them to get present so it shows up as for example just bad listening skills i'll get three sentences into an idea and they're already going "Uh uh-huh uh-huh uh-huh. 
and I know I haven't even gotten to the core of my idea yet, and they're already thinking that they're ready to move on, and I'm going like, wow, we haven't really talked about it yet. So that idea of being present, not being distracted, I, I think partly it's about the times. And by the way, it's also been true since the downturn. So many people had to do redu reductions of force, but their workload didn't get any smaller. So they're having to do more with fewer people, so they're just so stressed. So I think being present is, is a real challenge. I mean, even it's as simple often, Jesse, it's as simple as somebody comes to your door, stop typing. Take your hands off the keyboard, turn your chair towards the door, look at them and say, what? Don't keep keyboarding and look over your shoulder and go, go, go ahead, I'm listening. No, you're not. So that's that executive presence piece. It's true in meetings, it's true in one-on-ones, it's true even in presentations where people, you can tell they're distracted. They're not really in the room. Mm -hmm. Well, for someone who realizes that, that they are the distracted executive, wh where can they start with improving to develop uh, that, that being fully present? Being fully present requires a commitment and a willingness to put your third eye on yourself, to watch yourself like a video camera. How am I doing now? How am I doing now? How am I doing now? And to really just kind of calm down, to know that the future's gonna come anyway, worrying about it isn't helpful. So it, in some ways, you know, people who practice meditation understand this concept that you can never really achieve it, perfection is not possible, but you probably can do better than you're doing. So it's that idea of giving up your worry about the future, giving up your worry about what just happened, and just focusing on the here and now. And to do that, one of the ways to do it is to simply say, how am I doing right now? Am I in the moment right now? And there's an interesting duality that happens with that, one of which is it takes you out of the moment, but it makes you very conscious of the moment. So it becomes a mental discipline, and you can do it any time. You can do it while you're brushing your teeth. You can do it while you're walking to your car. And the truth is when we're you know, really split in our brains, it's, it, that's when we go, oh my God, where are my car keys? Where are my car keys? And they were in your hand the whole time. You didn't even know you picked them up because you just truly were not present in your mm -hmm. own life. You, you were doing something else in your head. So it's trying to get rid of moments like that. There's a myth that... If I can be doing several things at once, or th I need to be thinking about the next thing on my agenda, that m I'll be more productive um, as a as a as a leader or as a knowledge worker. But as as I think we all know, when we observe other people, and you certainly know from your from your coaching, being fully present is such an important aspect of executive presence that you're not doing yourself a favor and you're really not doing your team a favor by, by being that way. You, you may be thinking that you're getting more done, but you're, you're really not getting more done and you're actually probably slowing things down. I couldn't agree with you more, Jesse. Uh, there's two quick little things about that. Number one is scientifically, as we study the brain more and more, we know so much more than we did even five or six years ago. You said it's a myth. Multitasking is a myth. Our brains are binary. They can only do one thing at a time. So if I'm driving and talking on the phone, my brain is switching back and forth. And that means each one is diminished a little bit. 
So, yes, it's a myth. We don't really multitask. But the second idea that I often give people is being with, I mean, I don't know if you have kids or your wife or whoever. Can you imagine being at dinner and having them sneak glances at their cell phone? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that they're not really listening to you. And I think when we pretend like, oh, well, I'll pretend like I'm listening to this guy, but I'm really thinking about that presentation I have to give to Janet. You think we don't pick up on that? Of course we pick up on that. The same is if your wife suddenly is glancing at her lap, you know, pretending to send a text, but, oh, no, she's really pretending to listen to you. It doesn't work. And it it really is so much more impressive and powerful to be with a leader who is giving their full attention. They're both fully listening, uh, and their ideas are, are much more insightful and creative and powerful and they that just doesn't happen when the person is distracted i agree and that by the way goes all the way back to the bill clinton thing that that's it's astonishing how many people say that about bill clinton he must be incredibly good at it Mm. yeah that's 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 impressive so being present not highly distractible is one component of the of the S part of this three-part model, the self-management. Then we have the A for altitude, as you mentioned, and, and you said that includes being able to be concise and articulate. It includes uh, speed of thought uh, or the ability to transition quickly, uh, finding the right altitude for the right audience, and flexibility between drilling into details versus high-level contextual thinking. So. That's a lot all packed into altitude. I, I'd like to um, explore a little more that last that last idea, the flexibility between drilling into details versus high-level conceptual thinking. Can, can you talk a little more about that? In executive presence, this issue of altitude, I think, happens over and over and over where people either get stuck in the weeds, right? There's too much detail, or they're at such a high level that people don't follow them. And often, as executives are moving up and leaders are advancing in their careers, they often get stuck doing the work they were just doing in their prior job. So they're working at the wrong altitude. That's, I think, often that that leader's boss, for example, will be giving that person feedback of like, no, I need you to be doing the job at a higher level. And so that's one challenge for a leader, I think, is getting out of the weeds, stop drilling into the details, and manage the work at a higher level. But I think there's also an interesting challenge for any leader. So let's imagine that I'm a director in a big Fortune 500 company. I need to present on a fairly regular basis, maybe four or five, six times a year, to my boss's boss and maybe that person's boss. So two or three levels above me. I, look, I'm just a director. I mean, I may have come up through the organization. I may be a you know six, seven, ten-year employee, but I'm only, quote-unquote, only a director. But I have to present now to like a senior vice president or an executive vice president. How do I think like that person? How do I present my work so that I sound as senior as I can and engage that person who's several levels above me? That's really hard. If I could actually see at that senior leader's level, I would probably be at their level. I I sometimes say that, you know, it's like I'm on the 12th floor and you're on the 40th floor, Jesse. I, I, I can only imagine what it looks like out the window. Even though you and I are both facing north, 
I can only imagine what 40 floors up looks like. I've never been there. So I think that's a real altitude challenge, quote-unquote altitude. I think it's an altitude challenge for any leader to be able to click themselves higher up and think higher about their own work. That's challenging. And you, you actually express it as a, as a flexibility. So you, sometimes you need to be at the higher level and sometimes you need to be prepared to, to uh, dive down into the weeds. Let's, let's say you are that executive vice president. Is, is it also important that at the right moments, you, let's say this director has come to give a presentation that you're, you're savvy enough to get down into the weeds to, um, to, to talk about some of those details? Sure. I, I think it's very impressive when we see people do that. What I think is interesting, um, I have a CFO who loves being in the weeds, but it doesn't add value. And, and his feedback consistently is that he gets stuck in the weeds and it's not helpful. So when people come to present to him, he always wants to go to the appendix slides. And now his organization creates literally hundreds of appendix slides because, gee, they don't know where David's going to go. And, and so that's not helpful. It's, it's out of balance. But the truth is, he knows the work so well. Everyone admires you know, the fact that his mind is really, really smart. Uh, and the fact that he can jump back and forth, the fact that he can talk to the chairman of the board and drive, drill down, yes, it is flexible. The caution for him simply is that it's a little out of balance. It's not always adding value. But it is impressive to watch that he knows his business at an incredibly granular level. The, I, I think the challenge for any executive is to be aware that the flexibility is really important and to try and keep it balanced, to be sure that you know whether it's adding value or not. What's appropriate for a given moment and what's probably appropriate to keep the authority where it belongs. If you're, if you're always getting into the appendix and you, that's basically saying that you're not really trusting your um, subordinates with the, the, the recommendations and the data, you're basically going through that to fact check them, if you will, or, or uh, push back on, on, on the recommendations. And, and maybe sometimes that's appropriate, but it, uh, consistently it seems like that's going to undermine your team. And if, if they aren't worthy of being trusted, then you probably should have different people in, in their place. You know, what I really love about the way you think, and I've heard this on many of your podcasts, is your ability to extrapolate how things feel. And I think that that's true. I think David's team does feel like well, he doesn't trust us. He's fact-checking us. And, and yet I think what David says, and this is true when he and I are talking about it, is he feels like he needs to know that stuff. I keep saying, why? I mean, really, truly, like, why do you need to know that stuff? Um, so I think your idea of it shows a kind of lack of confidence, a lack of trust. I agree with you. I think that is the impact. But the flip side, going back to in your example to that director, it's so hard when you're the director, you have all this information. Number one, you don't know what it's like to be that executive VP. And, and plus, you have this kind of curse of knowledge where you just know so much. And you, you've got to sort of figure out what is important in all this stuff that I know. It's all important to me, but what's important for that it's going to add value in this in this meeting what's important to the the higher level executives i agree it it it, it is the challenge i think all of us feel that 
we add value by the details of our work. And so our details are often where we take pride and we want to show them, look at all the work I've done. And so often I find that people, and, and by the way, sometimes this happens at a very senior level, but often kind of like at the director level, what they want to do is they want to go in and they want to show the work, which isn't appropriate. It's the wrong altitude if you're presenting up one, two, or three levels. So I'm, I'm really reiterating what you said, Jesse. I, I agree. It is sometimes hard to kind of go, oh, I can't really talk about what we did. I need to talk about what it means to the organization. And that's often where people you know, need to shift their altitude and be more flexible. What's the first step that someone can take to, to develop that, that altitude flexibility? One of the things that I encourage people to do I ask, you know, where do you get to see skip-level leaders, people two or three levels above you? And often people are in meetings with those people. And sometimes they're really literally at the table, but sometimes they're what I call against the wall. You know, they're the second row of chairs back. They're not really going to participate in the meeting. And I'll say, when you're in those meetings, listen to the questions that get asked about your work. Now, maybe your boss is answering. But listen to the questions and then learn to ask yourself those questions. Because those questions probably are not innate to you. They're coming from two or three levels above you. You probably can't think of those on your own. But you can teach yourself to ask yourself those questions. And it will change how you think about your own work. So that's a really easy place to start. Easy but powerful. That's, that is a great, a great idea, Tom. Now, the, the, the third uh, part of the model is savvy. And... You said uh, that includes weighing, managing up versus managing down versus managing across and doing that all equally, and also matching the culture and accepting the burden of leadership, uh, all the things that kind of go with being a public figure, but especially valuing positive relationships equally with achieving results, that that, that's particularly important and, and rather unusual. Can you talk a little more about that? I think in some ways this is the core of executive presence. I would guess that in the 20 years I've been coaching, I have said to almost every one of my clients at some point, I've said something like this. I've said, look, in order to be an effective executive, there are two things you need to do all day, every day. One, you need to achieve results. And number two, you need to build and maintain positive relationships. Now, those two things, again, and I'm, I'm putting them in, a, in, in an order only because I can't say them both at once, but not, one is not more important than the other. That said, I don't think there's anyone who's really truly equally balanced. I think we all grow up through school with our natural strengths where we prefer one side of that equation or the other. Either we're kind of better at results and achievement or we're kind of prone to managing relationships and building relationships. And so we're all out of balance. The concern that I have is that often, and by the way, these are often the people that I coach, they're technically incredibly gifted. They're enormous experts. They're really, really smart. They're high, high, high on achievement. And they often think, the relationships actually don't matter. They've stopped weighing them as an equal part of the equation. And I just go, that is not savvy. It's just not. And so often I'm brought in to help people just turn their focus on the relationship piece and start to weigh it more. 
Those are the people that I tend to coach. Certainly, I have seen executives who are out of balance the other way. Very, very high in relationships. Everybody loves them. They know everything that's going on. They know where all the bodies are buried. But, oh, my goodness, they don't get much done. Those people also need coaching. I just don't tend to work with those people as much. In either case, when you're wildly out of balance, I think it means that you've, you're lacking a piece of savvy. You're ignoring half of what you need to do as an executive. These positive relationships that you're balancing with achieving results, is it just as important to do that um, in up relationships as it is in, in, in downward relationships? Sure. I'm, I, I think the 360-degree wheel exists because I think it is very real. If you're only managing your team, well, that's great, but you're ignoring like three-quarters of the rest of the wheel. And if you're only managing your peers, it's like, well, clearly, like, what about the people above you and below you? And the same with managing up. Again, I think we all tend to be aligned more easily with one part of the wheel. So some people manage up incredibly effectively and really kind of ignore their team, figure, oh, the team will take care of themselves. They all report to me. They all, you know, whatever. That's naive. That is lacking in savvy. So whichever way it is, again, I think we each of us has a preference. And part of the self-management piece, now going way back, about self-knowledge and knowing your strengths, I think it's important to know what your preferences are. Some people, and by the way, many senior executives, they don't like to manage up. They, they say, well, look, my good work should speak for itself. Where I'm going to put in my effort is building great relationships with my peers and make sure that my my team really is working and firing on all cylinders. And I'll go, well, that's great, but uh, what about all the people above you? They're the ones at the end of the year that are going to decide a bonus for you and do your performance review. And I mean, really, you're going to ignore them and imagine that your work speaks for itself alone? That's not savvy. No, I'm, I'm just thinking of all the times in my career when I've done good or bad, uh, or, you know, not as well as I, as I could have. Uh, and it, it really does make a difference when, when you're seeing the importance of all these relationships. I mean, I, I've, I've had so many times in my career that have gone better because I've been really, um, it, and honestly, the, the, the relating upward comes more naturally for, for me. Um, I think it's because with my team, I'm a little more likely to just be so focused on getting the work done and did you get that done and okay I'll take care of this and uh, whereas when I'm you know when you're with the 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 folks that you're reporting to it's it's I'm a little more conscious of the fact that um, you know the work is is what happens somewhere else and here is is about developing relationships and developing influence but but even sometimes it, you know if there's a lot of pressure to meet deadlines i i you, you know it's just so easy even with with the people that you report to to get all focused on what you're delivering and and not on really getting to know them but not only because for reasons of having the right you know building a reputation but also so that you can understand them better understand what they're what they need and uh, and probably understand the business better because you're getting into into their heads. Well, I I, I want to be clear that I don't value personally relationships more than results. I do think they're equal. I also am a great believer that we really get to know each other when we work together. There's nothing like being on a project with someone to get to know how they think, 
how they act, how reliable they are, do I want to work with them again? So I, I'm a big believer in both results and relationships, and I want to be sure that I'm clear about that. And, and by the way, I think that's what being savvy is. It's about valuing them both equally, whereas many leaders, I think, value one or the other and really kind of aren't aware that they are skewed. And then I go, well, that's not being savvy. You're not even aware of your own bias. I loved hearing you say just now, like, that the managing up part has always come pretty easy and naturally for you. That's great. You also obviously have some self-awareness about that. So if I were coaching you and I said, hey, Jesse, don't forget about managing your team and taking care of those relationships, you would just go, oh, right, thanks for the reminder. You don't need to be told about your bias. You already know it. And that's great. That's the self-awareness piece that's really important. If someone's listening to the, the podcast today and they and they hadn't realized the importance of that, where, where do you start uh, with, with them in, in developing that aspect of executive presence? I would ask them to look at their last two or three performance reviews, even if they're new at an organization. Go back to their last job because it's showing up. I promise it's showing up. You've gotten this feedback. Unless you had a manager who just never gave you a review, it's showing up somewhere that you're out of balance in one way or another. So I, I want to say the feedback's out there for you. And by the way, when I deliver people's feedback almost all the time, people read their feedback, they look at me and they go, no surprises. Doesn't mean it doesn't have some kind of impact, but most of us have been hearing the feedback probably since we were in high school. You know, we, we know we may not pay attention to it all the time. So there's a part of me that goes, it, I, I want to say to anybody who's listening, I'm going to guess you know which side you're weighted on. And then really, I think maybe you want a mentor who's really good on the other side. So if you're needing to be better at results, I'm guessing that there's someone around you, either in your organization or a friend, who's really good at results, who just knows how to get stuff done. Well, then have them help you. Talk to them, you know, once a month about it. Or if you're a, a results person and you need to be working on your relationships, my guess is you've got someone who's great at it in your life, either at your work or outside your work. And if you really begin to go, I'd like to learn about this, you can begin to learn about it. It's just another set of skills. It's not a secret. So just to begin to focus on it, I think, really changes your awareness of it, and that changes what you're able to do. So executive presence uh, comes down to, or at least starts with self-management, altitude, and savvy. And Tom, you, you've been an executive coach for 20 years, um, and your, your podcast, which you've been doing for years, what, five years now? Since 2005, so seven years. We just did our 100th episode. Wow, congratulations. And, and the, the focus of your podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, is being perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. This topic of executive presence, it seems like it's both substance, that it really is a, a, a difference in your performance and your thinking, but it's about perception, isn't it? It's very much about perception. One of the reasons I get called for it is often what I hear from the boss is, you know, we really love this woman. She's terrific and she's so smart and she's so good at what she does, but, you know, we can't promote her yet. She just doesn't 
feel like a vice president yet. What they're talking about is executive presence, and it's probably one of those three things or some combination of self-management or altitude or savvy. And ultimately, it is exactly that. It's perception. So at a certain point, perception is reality. If they don't think she feels like a vice president, well, that's reality. But it's just someone's opinion. It's like reading a movie review. You know, this reviewer didn't like it, that reviewer did. Well, whatever, it's just perception. You get to go to the movie and decide what you think. But usually an organization has made a decision about you, and that becomes the perception. So managing perception, again, people often need help for it, and that's where someone like you or someone like I come in. And it's I've just known so many um, so many people in in companies around the country who at some point their their leadership gets stopped at a certain point and they see the difference between their level and where executives are and I think they might think that that they get stalled there and sort of give up I, I think because it just feels like oh that's you know, there's some magic about being an executive or it's a network that I'm, and I'm just, I don't play that way. And yet these principles of executive presence really are learnable, aren't they? I believe they are very learnable. Absolutely. This executive presence piece, also what you talked about, about someone stalling or hitting a plateau in their career, there's many reasons why people plateau. It may not only be executive presence, but usually it is something that is within our control. Now, I also know that there are many people who look up at their boss and they go, oh my gosh, I don't want my boss's job. I'm happy where I am. And that's fine. But there are other people who go, I'm dying for a promotion. I've been stuck here for five years. I can't get the promotion. I don't know why. And then I go, absolutely it's probably learnable unless you've really derailed and and ruined something for yourself. Yes, absolutely. These skills are learnable. Fantastic. Well, Tom, thanks for joining us today. And for our listeners, if you're not already aware or familiar with, uh, with Tom's podcast, The Look and Sound of Leadership, you can search for it in iTunes. And you can also find it at his website or his firm's website, EssentialCom.com. That's uh, EssentialCom with two M's. And I would, if you're interested in, in finding out more about developing executive presence, uh, Tom has a hundred, you just celebrated your 100th podcast. There are a hundred tips on there and they are all just golden nuggets of opportunity. So I really appreciate you taking your time to share your, your vast knowledge with, with our listeners on the Engaging Leader podcast. And I'm honored to be invited and it's a pleasure to be with you, Jesse. Thanks a million. I'll provide in our show notes the links to Tom's website and his podcast. I'll also share links to three specific episodes from his show that provide good follow-up to the three components of executive presence that we discussed today. All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode of the Engaging Leader podcast. If you like our show, please rate us on iTunes. That makes a huge difference in helping more people discover it. Go to engagingleader.com slash iTunes. We would love to know your thoughts about this episode. You can leave comments on our show notes at engagingleader.com or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers on internal communication strategies. 
Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. Music